Just give me a minute to get my notes in order. Usually we say greet each other, but I, I, I think we're uh, practicing social distancing. Wa- wave to one another for a minute. <laughs> awesome. Okay, that's enough waving. Uh, <laughs> so uh, today we're going to continue our, our series on uh, called Reality Check. Uh, this is uh, we're reaching the the last moments before Jesus is going to go onto the cross, and he's using these moments uh, to prepare his disciples for what they're going to go through next. They've spent three and a half years with him every day, and now uh, it's going to. Uh, he's going to be removed and they're going to go through some of the hardest times of their life so um, he's using this um, time to kind of replace or at least to pour so heavily into them that it should be giving them a gut check it should be giving them a um, uh, an aha moment right where it's like oh I've been thinking about this wrongly for three years they don't get it, obviously. Um, and a lot of times when people try to give us those reality checks, we, we miss the point too. But uh, Jesus is going to invest in them here so that when they go through it, that moment will happen. Um, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark so far, it's been a lot of very fast-paced, action-packed, like this is a really action-packed gospel, a lot of immediately's and, and then's, and you know, and it just, as you read through it, just so many things happen, 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 happen. And then right now, as we've been going through this series, it's like everything has just slowed down, right? Like, um, I don't know if you guys watch YouTube, the slow-mo guys, like they film these things, like they start really fast and they, then they slow down, like you see guns firing and paint flying everywhere and all this, well, kind of destructive stuff, but it's, it's fun to watch in slow motion, right? Well, we've hit this slow motion point right here where Jesus is like, okay, we've got a few hours left now, and th- these are the things, these are the important things that I want you guys to hear. Um, these are the important things that are going to take you through this difficult time that you're going to go through. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've, you've, we always get that sense when we're going to say goodbye to somebody, like if uh, when you're going to graduate school or you're going to go on to a new job or something, there's always the, the, you feel like you haven't said enough. You always feel that, that, that point where it's, I've got important things to say. And a lot of times when it's me in that situation, I don't know what I want to say other than I know I'm going to miss people. Um, Jesus has things to say, and he's using that time to pour directly into his disciples. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we just want to come before you this morning and lift it up to you. Lord, there's a lot of fear and, and just craziness going on in the world right now. And Lord, we just, um, we just want to pray that, um, that you would just pour into us, Lord. That, uh, that the important things, Lord, that we would, we would latch on to that, Lord. That you're, you would speak to us, Lord. That... Um, that as we go through these and it gets worse or it gets better, Lord, that uh, I, I just don't know. But I just pray that, um, that your truth would be with us and your comfort would be with us and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when I say the word power, 
what comes to your mind? Um, you, you might be thinking of uh, electricity or lightning or, you know, or some, some, some earthquakes, maybe the virus, you know, something that, some un, uncaring force that just impacts everything around it. Um, uh, another thing you might be thinking of is maybe we just came, we just came out of the politics series uh, and you might be thinking about human power. Like, I have an influence on something. I can change either an event or a person or something along those lines. Um, if we focus on, well, both of those have something in common. They're, they're different kinds, different aspects of power, but what they have in common is they both have a subordinate. Uh, you might even call it a victim. Something or someone that is affected by that power. And so um, you might begin to wonder, like, well, does that mean power is evil? It's like it's, it's me forcing my will on somebody else. Um, and I think there's an aspect of that here. Uh, but when, when we look at what the kernel of what power really is, like underneath all that, you know, there's this effect, there's this cause. Uh, we, we're really talking about the, the chance to decide what is right. We're talk talking about the, the chance, the, the power, the ability to say, this is right for you, or this is right for this situation. Like, that's what, that's what power does. Is it, it, it pushes things in a direction that it decides is right. Well, not it, but the person in, enforcing the power. So, Lord Acton famously said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The truth, I think, is a little more nuanced than that, um, because power by itself is just, is really a thing, right? And like I was saying, it's the ability to decide what's right or wrong. Power in the right hands or power in the wrong hands, right? So we, we talk about um, power is actually an amplifier of what's inside of us. And that's where the corruption comes in. It's not that having power corrupted somebody. It's, there was corruption in there, a kernel, a seed. Maybe when they had no power, there was no way to affect it. But with power, that corruption gets magnified. It's a lot like... Um, a lot of people will, will, will look at marriage and say, okay, well, marriage is going to solve all my relational problems. Like, I'm going I'm to never be lonely again. I'm never going to, you know, all these things I struggle with while I'm not married are going to go away once I'm married. But the truth is, marriage is also an amplifier. It amplifies those problems, loneliness in a different way. Th these things happen, right? So um, what I, all that to say that we bring to power what... what um, we make power into what it is, not, uh, not the other way around. Um, and to kind of like see what I mean, um, we can take a look at two powerful beings. And I'm going to contrast Satan, who was given power, and God, who is powerful. Um, in, in, in Isaiah 14, it says, how, uh, speaking of Satan, 14:12, how... You are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut 
down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is a poem from uh, the book of Isaiah talking about um, Satan, his heart's, his, desire, his heart's desire is to have a high position in heaven, to be in power, in control, to, to receive that worship. It says to be like the Most High. Um, Satan worshipped power. He idolized it. He idolizes it. Um, he wants to be like the Most High. He wants the autonomy to decide what is right, and what is wrong apart from what God says. God says something is right, but if I have this, if I'm like the Most High, it means I have the right to say, no, God, you're wrong. This is what's right. It's the same, same lie that motivated Adam and Eve to, to rebel against God, right? Uh, Satan, through the serpent, lies to them, telling them, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil, meaning they will have the power to decide what's right apart from God. So that's why when, when I talk about power, maybe your gut was like, oh, ugh, I don't like to think about power because I've seen power used wrongly. And that's when people have said, no, no, this is what's right for you. And I've been the victim of power um, applied to me. When somebody's applied their selfish desire to gain more. But there's also good power, and that's kind of what I wanted to point out also today here. Um, because on the other side, like I said, Satan's a created being. He's not the direct opposite of God, but he's an en he is an enemy of God. Um, so Satan demonstrates his power through, through pridefully, forcefully taking what he can, trying to at least. Um, what if I told you that God demonstrates his power through humility? It's not really a characteristic of, of God that we think about a lot. We think about all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, uh, you know, love, all-loving. Like, we talk about all these big things, these, these encompassing things, but, but God actually has humility as well, and that's how he expresses his power. The reason that that works is because God is powerful, right? He's the, the, the creator of all things. All power resides in him, so it's not that he needs to express it to say, look how powerful I am. He just is. And so when, we, when I talk about humility here in God's character, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about God came, became a human, and died for us in weakness. In Hebrews 12, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God's power is made perfect through weakness. Made perfect through Jesus' sacrifice. And this is where we're, we're coming into the story in Mark, where we're going towards that. And now we're in the last hours before this is going to happen. So in Mark 14, 26, if you want to flip there. 
says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So one of my favorite uh, quotes is actually from from a video game called uh, Destiny. Um, So the... In one, in one of the final scenes before you get to start playing the game, I apologize, I play video games. One of the final uh, things, um, the character comes in, she's a time traveler, she's going back and forth and she comes in all throughout the story and then she comes in and she says, I don't have time to explain what I don't have time to explain. Which is great because then you play the entire game like, what was she trying to explain? And, and they, actually they never, they never paid that off. But I love the quote because I, I, like, I know that feeling. I don't have time to explain what I don't have time to explain. Jesus is explaining in very um, specific ways here to the disciples, like this is what you're going. This is what's going to happen. You're going to. I'm. You're going to get scattered. This is the will of God. I'm going to get strike, struck down. You guys are going to going to get scattered. But I will be there for you. There's a promise. So he's explaining these three things to them, to all of the disciples. Um, and Peter is immediately offended. He says, like, I'm not weak. What do you mean, me? No, first of all, Peter, Jesus said everybody. But, um, but okay. Uh, so he completely misses the point that this is going to happen. This is the will of God. But I'll meet you there in the future. It says, you know, Jesus' proof of it is, you know, he says, I will... Uh, um, it's written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The I here is, is God. The shepherd is Jesus and the, the sheep are the disciples, right? Those are the, the three characters. So Peter is actually arguing against the will of God here. It sounds right. Like inherently, it's like, no, no, no. Jesus, you're good, you're right, and I'm dedicated to you. But it's actually, Peter's actually twisting what Jesus is saying, what God is saying here. Because to me, that sounds right. I'm dedicated to you. I'm going to follow you. But, but Jesus says, no, this is what's going to happen. And instead of Peter saying, okay, see you in Galilee, right? Peter is promising that he will never abandon Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not going to abandon you. Not even death is going to make me abandon you. Not even your unfaithfulness is going to make me ab- abandon you. But Peter's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to abandon you. It's like, no, Peter, you, you don't get it. Like, this is, this is a promise to you. This is, this is I'm, we're going to go through a tough time. We're going to be separated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there for you, no matter how hard it gets. So Jesus then leans more into Peter and says something specifically to him next, right? He says, you know, you're going to deny me three times. Peter again fights back, and 
again, he, he twists what Jesus was saying, because Jesus says, you know, I'm going to die for you. But Peter's saying, no, 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 I will die for you, Jesus. And it's like, the, the, the game going on here is, is really a power struggle. It's really Jesus following the will of God and Peter following the will of Peter. Of course, Jesus is right. I mean, that's how, how it's going to play out, right? Peter, they're all going to be scattered. They're going to go through the worst times of their life. Jesus is going to go through the worst time of his life. He's going to die. But he, they will meet each other again. So continuing on in, in, in Mark, in verse 30, uh, 1432, it says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to greatly to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So he takes with him these three disciples, Peter, James, and John. The, what's unique about these three is all three have, have committed to, to die for Jesus in one way or another. Peter just now, right? James and John, um, we have from the Gospel of Matthew that first they asked their mom, hey mom, can you, can you talk to Jesus? This is my paraphrase. Uh, their mom asked, can, can my sons sit next to you in your kingdom? And Jesus responds saying, you know, it's not mine to give. Can you take the cup? Can you bear the cup that I'm going to bear? And they say, yeah, sure. And the cup here is, is his death. And, and so he says, you will. And so these three are kind of like, have been hyper, well, their experience with Jesus is, is on this level of, of understanding, or at least they don't have the understanding yet of what the cup means, what the death means, but Jesus is taking them through in multiple occasions to see what death means. In fact, the first time that uh, he, he grabs these three is when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from, from the dead. They, um, they get to see that Jesus can be victorious over death. And now they're being pulled aside here um, in this time of prayer to see that Jesus can surrender to death. And then they're going to be also, after this, after Jesus is raised, restored, uh, they're going to see him transfigured on the mount in full glory. So uh, he's not only victorious over death 
surrendered to death. He's glorified in death. And so as these disciples are going to go through all these, all these pains and troubles, like all this that's happening right now, all that, that Jesus has been laying into their lives, is going to become very meaningful as things get harder. I really love the, um, the honesty here with Jesus. Like a lot of times um, my personality is to just have it all together. Like I've, and you know, I want, I want people to, to see me as like, I've got this, I've got this perfect, don't worry, I'm cool. How are, how are you doing? Like uh, in Star Wars where, you know, they're, they're calling the guys and say, uh, they're, they've taken over the det- detention center and they say, hey, um, is everything all right down there? After they shoot all the cameras, and then and then Han Solo says, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm fine. We're fine down here. How are you?" <laughs> it's like I don't think that was the protocol, but you know that's kind of like I'm fine. All I'm fine here. I I just blew up all the cameras and I'm in prison, but I'm fine. How are you? Um, Jesus comes in and he says he's sorrowful unto death. He falls before God, prostrate, to pray, like. He's not, he's not putting up a front. He is being open and honest and with his weakness here, with, with the, the difficulties. Uh, I think a lot of times people will ask, how are you doing? And I think maybe like, I don't know, I haven't figured this one out. Maybe this is one of those social things, but like when people say, how are you doing? And they're just saying, hi. And I say, fine, how are you? And they're like halfway down the hallway, like, oh, I was actually just supposed to say, how are you doing back or something. But then, uh, you know, like there, there was no like, they didn't care. And uh, I think um, that makes it really hard to respond honestly to how are you doing, right? A lot of times our first response is, I'm fine. You know, uh, I think uh, Jesus is showing us here that we need to be open and honest with each other. And I think as a, as a church, as a home group, uh, like uh, as all these things that we need to, if somebody says fine, I want to encourage you to ask again to let them know that you really mean how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? Especially right now with the craziness of the virus and things going on, um, I, I would encourage you to call people and ask them how they're doing twice. Try to, try to dig in and you know, be honest with, you, with, with, with how you're doing as well. You know, hey, you know, uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. I guess somebody hit my car last night. Um, true story. And uh, just like, you know, like all these things, you know, let's, let's, let's be honest because that's part of being weak is being open and honest with people. And that's, uh, that's where God can use people to pour into you. But they can only do that if they know something's up. So in Luke's account of this garden scene, we, Jesus is not only sorrowful unto death, he's sweating blood, which is actually a real medical condition. I've always imagined like how intense that must be. I've been, I've been so distraught and upset that I haven't been able to eat, you know, or you know, haven't wanted to take care of myself, shower, whatever it is. But to be to the point of sweating blood is, is an intensity I've luckily never had to feel. He's been facing opposition all throughout his ministry. Like, he started his ministry, Satan took him, and he went into the wilderness, and Satan tried to attack him, and then tried to attack him throughout the entire ministry. The religious leaders sought to kill him. Like, all this stuff is going on. 
so what's unique about this is like we're, we're coming to that focus point where all of our sin, all of our, our shame, all of, our, all of the evilness and rottenness in this world is going to be poured into Jesus and he's going to be cut off from the Father. Remember on the cross he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, where are you, God? And, you know, that's, that, that's at the core of um, what's, uh, what's going on here. It's like a lot of times we can look at that and say, okay, well, I know Jesus suffered, but he really suffered for my neighbor, not for me. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm all good, right? Like, I may, have, I may have lied a little bit, got angry, yelled at my kids, whatever it is. Like, I might have done all these little things, but, you know, I didn't kill anybody. And I haven't done, you know, I'm not Hitler, right? I haven't done these things. Um, the truth is that it's that rebellious heart, that, that, that power struggle that we see in Peter, that power struggle that we see in our own hearts, like that is enough, that is sufficient. That is that us trying to define what is right apart from God is what put Jesus on the cross because he came in and said, look, this is what is right. What is right is to submit to God's will and obey and that's what real power is. So when Jesus is praying, he's, again, he's sorrowful unto death. It says, remove this cup from me. Yet not that I will, but that you will. He's entering into this agony, right? And it's this obedience. Like it's, when I get into a difficult situation, I pray, okay, God, get me out of this situation. You know, it's usually until, not until like I'm towards the end of the situation that I realize, oh, this was God's will. And then I've been in trials where I've prayed, God, keep me in this trial. And entirely because at that point, I go to God. I fall on my face before God, and I've never been closer to God than when I'm at the end of myself. And so Jesus' prayer isn't stop this. It's like, if you can, stop this, but I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm committed to you, Lord. So after an hour of praying... Um, Jesus needs to wake up the three. I, I feel like, I feel a little embarrassed because I think an hour of praying is quite a bit. I, I haven't done that in a while, or at least not, you know. So if you guys can pray for me for that. Um, the, uh, but after an hour, he's got to come and he's got to wake them up. And it's interesting, like I said, he's brought these three here so that they can learn something about, about him, about death, about God's will, He's waking them up. He says, pray because you're going to get tempted. Pray that you're going to go through this hard time. I'm not going to be there with you. Um, the, it says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that was not only right then and there, because their spirit was willing to pray and their flesh was weak, but also on throughout this time that they're going to go through, their spirit will be willing, but their flesh will be weak. They're going to be scattered, right? That's That's... What's going to happen? So he does it three times with them, right? He tells them first to sit and pray, sit and watch, and then to pray, and then pray again, you know, wake up. And then uh, at the end, of it, he says, okay, it's time to move on. The hour is now. Like, we've, we've reached the end of the preparation. This is the last thing that I can tell you, which is to pray. And the last thing that he, he you know, they can see. So after this, the disciples do scatter, and Jesus does keep his promise. Uh, so 
So we see that uh, God's real power is expressed through our weakness. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, after praying that God would remove the thorn in his side, whatever that thorn is, we're not entirely sure. God's response is that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I wanted to encourage you guys to rely on God's power. Let, be weak and let his will be worked out through your lives. Um, so if you guys, um, we're going to do something a little different. Um, can you all stand? And if you've got a Bible, can you grab it? Go ahead and flip over to Isaiah 53. And if, if you're online, uh, I want to encourage you to, to kind of read along. We're, we're going to read this aloud as a church. And uh, if you're online, I, I'd encourage you to read along with us. Um, I think with the, uh, with the virus and everyone's scared about social distancing and everything going on, I wanted us to kind of take a look at what, what it says about Jesus uh, here, and, uh, and as a group, we can do this. So um, if we can, this is talking about what Jesus is going to suffer uh, how, on the cross. And um, so uh, let's go ahead and we're going to read it together, and I'll go ahead and start us off. This is, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty what, that we should look at him and no beauty that he should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for the generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many." and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many 
and makes intercession for the transgressors. Lord, we just want to honor you, Lord. We want to we want to thank you, Lord, that it's not power inside of us, Lord. It's it's you, Lord. It's it's your power, Lord, in us, Lord. We just pray that uh, we can we can go forward in in weakness and humility. That you would receive all the glory, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Lord, that makes it possible to have good power. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.